Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. I thought about this a lot, studying this passage. Who has God put in my life to mature me, to grow me? Not necessarily an enemy, not necessarily somebody that hates me. Could be, could be. We all have those kind of issues. But if you have people in your life that kind of stir you up, anybody know what I mean? A little bit, just stir you up. Why are they there? To grow you up. You have people in your life who find your last nerve and then step all over it? (laughs) Everyone has someone that irritates them. You find yourself asking God, why have you put this awful person in my life? Possibly David asked God the same thing in regards to Saul. But as Pastor Mark will be teaching, people like this are in your life to grow you up spiritually. They're there to get you to call out to God for his help. You'll find that more often than not, God wants to change your behavior and your attitude more than he wants to take the tormentor out of your life. God wants to use you to minister to the one who vexes you. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in 1 Samuel chapter 19 as he continues his series, The Life of David. So, as before, David is blessed. He goes out in this battle. The enemy's there again, the Philistines. He defeats the enemies. Notice there in verse 8, he struck them with such force that they fled as before. So here's the problem. As David's coming back, you remember there, there was this song Saul kills his thousand, David kills his ten thousands. Well, now there's going to be verse two. And David's going to kill his twenty thousand, and Saul isn't even going to be in verse two. And Saul's going to hear this. Because David's reputation is going up and up and up and up. And Saul's anger is going up and up and up with it at the same time. Look at verse nine. But an evil spirit from the Lord again allowed by the Lord, came upon Saul as he was sitting in the house, uh uh-oh, with a spear (laughs) in his hands, while David was playing the harp. Those of you who want to be a musician, remember there's always spiritual warfare. Saul did what with it? Verse 10 says he tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Now, we have a saying in baseball, three strikes and you're out. But this is the third time Saul's tried. And God allowed Saul to do it, but he gave David a way of escape times three. 
Now, let's think about this for a moment. Why is Saul allowed to be in the life of David? Ongoing. Why? Is it an accident? No, it isn't. God allowed Saul to be in the life of David to mature David in his walk with God. He allowed this enemy who wants to kill him, who hates him, who's looking for every opportunity to do bad to him, using his family to come against him, all kinds of things. God allowed that man, Saul, to be there to grow up David. Now, as you see this verse right here, that night David makes his escape. And he won't see the palace again for 20 years. And in much of that time, Saul is the guy that's after him. He really won't see the palace again until Saul dies and he's finally crowned. But I thought about this a lot studying this passage. Who has God put in my life to mature me? To grow me? Not necessarily an enemy. Not necessarily somebody that hates me. Could be. Could be. We all have those kind of issues. But if you have people in your life that kind of stir you up, anybody know what I mean? A little bit? Just stir you up? Why are they there? To grow you up. To grow you up. Now, hopefully, it isn't just your spouse. (laughs) You knew God put somebody in there to stir you up in your marriage. You knew that, didn't you? You remember Andy and Ann? They stirred each other up like crazy. Same for you. That's good. My wife and I were talking today, and I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Because we talked about that God put her in my life to balance me. He did. She's working on it. I'm still unbalanced. That's true, isn't it? So think about that. God allows people circumstances, all things work together for good to grow us, to mature us. There's things that David is going to learn through this, blessings that are going to come from this, that can't come any other way. It simply can't come in any way. Well, verse 11. Saul, David escapes. He leaves the palace. Saul sent men to David's house to watch him and to kill him that morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, If you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. Keep your finger right there. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. When I was thinking about that, this again is the providence of God in our life. Nothing happens in our life by accident. And and God knows how he's going to use you and where he's going to use you in all of our lives. In Acts chapter 9, go down to verse 20. Two similar encounters that we see here with David escaping through a window and running for his life. Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Paul, at once, after his conversion, Paul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, now wait a minute, 
Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, lured him in the basket through an opening in the wall. Now, what is that all about? God provided a way of escape. God provided a way of escape. God allowed the difficulty, but God provided a way of escape. Now, if Saul there, Paul, is going to go by his human senses, he's going to be in trouble. He has faith that God, he's young, that God is going to allow that to happen. Now, turn over to Luke, just a couple books back, kind of where we've been studying. Luke chapter 4, look at 29 and verse 30. Jesus is speaking, you remember, in the synagogue. He made this amazing statement telling who he was and what his mission statement was. Then he goes on and he does some other things. We'll talk about that later. Look what happens in verse 39. These people who were praising Jesus in his town, they got all upset. They get mad at him because he's proclaiming to be the Messiah. Look at verse 30. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill, a Mount Precipice, on which that town was built, In order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. You know, when you read that, it doesn't say this. He panicked and ran for everything he could. That's more like me. I'm panicking. I got to get out of here. God help me. I love this. He walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how it happened. I don't have a clue. But God, again, provided a way of escape. So I want to say to you tonight, myself, when we get in difficult circumstances, God's going to provide a way of escape. I don't know how it will come. I don't know when it will come. But you can be assured, don't go by your human senses. Go by faith. And faith only comes by hearing the word of God. Trust God when things don't look good. Just trust God. God will provide a way of escape. Now back to 1 Samuel chapter 20. So Michael, Saul's daughter, David and Michael loved each other. She she heard that dad was going to kill uh, him. So she says, you got to escape. Get out of here. If you're here in the morning, you're dead. So she leaves. Verse 13, then Michael took an idol, which we really don't understand that at all, why she's doing with an idol in the home, um, and laid it on the bed, covering it, so it had to be like a big idol, with a garment. This isn't a little thing that's sitting on your chest. This is somebody that's the size of a man or woman. Laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment, and putting some goat's hair at the head. And when Saul sent the men to capture David, Michael said, He's ill. He's sick. And then Saul sent them in. They go back and they said, well, we couldn't get, couldn't get David, couldn't get David because David's sick. Verse 15, then Saul sent them in back to see David and told them, bring him up to me in his bed so I can kill him. I don't care how bad he looks. Wheel him in here and I want to kill him. 
Now, when you think about that, look how far Saul has gone. Saul's decaying mental and spiritual state is reflected in that sentence. He feared and hated David so much, he's willing to murder a man, supposedly lying sick in a bed. I mean, he he just totally lost it. And I want to remind us in myself of this tonight. You know it. Sin always takes us farther than we can ever imagine. That's because Satan's the great liar. And, and I just want to caution tonight, if, if you've kind of walked away a little, ask God to forgive you. Come on back. Pretty soon, if you don't do that, you'll be like that prodigal son who wakes up and goes, what in the world am I doing? How, how did I get here? Well, it's because sin is very deceptive. It always takes us farther than we can ever imagine. So the men come. They're going to kill David. They're going to get him in the bed. Michael lies and says he's sick. She's put this idol and put goat's hair on it and made it look like David, laid him in a bed. They go back and tell Saul, says, I don't care what he looks like. I don't care if he's sick. You wheel the bed out. You carry the bed, four legs, whatever is bring him here to, to, uh, to me and I'll kill him. Verse 16. But when the men entered, there was an idol in bed and at the head was some goat's hair. And, and Saul said to Michael, why did you deceive me like this and send the enemy away so that he escaped? So what really happens, you don't see all the wording, but what really happens is when they go in and see, we don't know when they saw this idol, but they probably look at this hair, goat's hair, and they kind of look at the skin, whatever they can kind of see and go, he needs Dr. Oz. This guy's really sick. I mean, he's miserable sick. And we don't, want any, we don't want anything to do with them. Saul says, no, no, bring them back. So obviously they come back and the deceit is up. Notice what happens. Here's dad talking to daughter. Why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? Michael told him lies. He said to me, let me get away. Why should I kill you? In other words, if I don't, if, if I don't escape, I'll kill you. So David's wife discovers the plot. She kind of worked with it, helped him escape, putting that household image in there. David loved Michael, but you're going to see problems with that later. We don't understand this pagan idol. We don't really understand. Probably belonged to her. David himself never was really an idler. And so we do see a great principle here, though. Genesis 2, 24 reminds us of this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. See, the principle here is solid. It's always been solid. God makes a husband and the wife to become one. And that new oneness, remember, that new oneness overtakes dad and son or dad and daughter. So really, Michael did what was right. She no longer is responsible to obey her father, she's responsible to love and obey her husband. So there's that oneness that would protect us. Now, just as you see here, in a, in a roundabout way, understand in your marriage, it's just exactly like this. Our marriages, our homes, our relationships with God, Satan's after. He'll do whatever he can do to defeat you. So what about a husband and wife? 
Well, even though there's lying here, which was never condoned by God, it's just stated. It should have never been like that. There should have been some other way that they could have done it. But you see a husband and a wife working together to protect the husband. That's a good thing. See, they're working together. She's not working with her father. She's working with her husband. And so really what we see tonight is David and Michael, what are they doing? They are defeating Satan's plan. So I want you to write this as husbands and wives tonight. Those of you that are married, those of you who are thinking of getting married, understand, spiritual warfare continues on in a marriage. Always in a marriage. doesn't matter how many years you're married. So husbands, wives... Live in oneness, live in openness, live in forgiveness, and live in prayer. Wherever you're at tonight in your relationship, let's just take a moment to think about those four things. Oneness. You're one. You're not just one when you're in bed sexually. That's certainly true. But you're one spiritually, in unison, Goals, doing things together, life together, you won. Maybe you've moved off that little oneness. In your marriages tonight, talk about it. Number two, openness. Share where you're at. Michael didn't hide the plan from her husband. She said, look, dad's coming to kill you. And if you're not gone, you're going to be dead. Be open with one another. You know, it's interesting. Sexually, we have no problem, most of us have no problem being naked openly with our spouse. But when it comes to the emotional thing, we just hide stuff all over the place. No, you want to be open. You want to be honest with your spouse. Number three, forgiveness. You can't do life, let alone marriage, unless you live in forgiveness. Because we hurt each other. We say things that are stupid. We do things that aren't right. So you have to live in forgiveness. And last, we need to be praying together for yourself, for your children, for your prodigals, for the grandchildren, whatever. And so I think as we look at all of that, remember also we're not doing that just together, that marriage is a threesome. We have God with us. Remember this verse, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, it's builders labor in vain. So, And I was thinking about this later this afternoon. If you're married tonight, remember these three things. God is here. He's in your marriage. He's part of the threesome. God is able. He can do whatever. He puts you together. He'll help you be together with joy and happiness and fulfillment. And number three, God is for you and he's for your marriage. He's the one that designed it. Now, we know the enemy's against it. Don't allow the enemy to. You have to fight for your marriage. You have to fight for your marriage. You have to fight for your marriage. It just doesn't happen. You have to fight for it. Because the enemy is fighting against you. So understand his ways. Understand his ways. So here's David. He's on the run again. Here's the fugitive. He's headed out. David will write about this. Let's turn to Psalm 59, if you will, quickly. David will write about this kind of like his journal, but it becomes biblical. It becomes part of Scripture. He'll write about this very experience. We don't know exactly when he wrote it, but 
It's from 1 Samuel chapter 19. In this attempt of Saul to kill David in his bed at his home. And there's four steps tonight. I'll give them to you at the end. In Psalm 59, the first step is prayer, David praying. Now, when you see dogs in this translation, he's really speaking about his enemies. He's not talking about dogs. He's talking about his enemies. Look at verse 1. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the evildoers and save me from bloodthirsty men. See how they lie in wait for me outside his home. Fierce men conspire against me. Watch what David says. For no offense or sin of mine, O Lord. What's David saying? He's saying, wait a minute. I'm not guilty of anything. I didn't do anything wrong. But these guys, these guys are here. So you can sense in those words some anxiety, naturally, some fear, maybe a little bit of panic. But he's praying. It's good. He's being open. He's being honest. But he's praying, I need your help, God. I need your help. Verse 4. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. God, arise to help me. Look on my plight. Personal God. God is here. Verse 5. O Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations, showing no mercy to the wicked traitors. They return at evening, snaring like dogs. And again, that illustration. And prowl around the city. See what they spew from their mouths. They spew out swords from their lips. And they say, who can hear us? So the first step is his prayer. God Look what situation I'm in. Here's the plight. Here's where I'm at. Good illustration for all of us when we're having difficult times. God, here's where I'm at. I'm really fearful. I don't understand why these people, this circumstance, this company, this individual at work, whatever, is against me. God, help me. I need you. God, you almighty are the one that can help me. Now, somewhere after this prayer, God gives David a plan and Michael a plan, and they work with that. So the next step is kind of that plan that God gave him a way to escape. And then the last basic two steps are for peace or protection. Look at verse 8. But you, O Lord, you laugh at them. And you'll see more of God laughing at the end of our chapter tonight. O Lord, laugh at them. You scoff at all those nations. O my strength, I watch for you. O God, you're my fortress, my loving God. God will go before me, and he will let me gloat over those who slander me. So he's already seeing the outcome of this, protection that God's going to get. But do not kill them. O Lord, our shield, or my people will forget. In your might, make them wonder about and bring them down. For the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride, specifically Saul, for the curses and lies they utter. Consume them in wrath, consume them that they are no more. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob. So he's just saying that he feels assured because there is protection coming from God. They return at evening, just like they did, snarling like dogs and prowl around the city. They wander about for food and howl if not satisfied. Today, Pastor Mark continued teaching about the spiritual aspect of David's experiences. You heard about David's spiritual compromise with his wife, the effect it had on David's decision-making. Pastor Mark spoke about the importance of unity in your marriage. 
If the couple isn't united in their devotion to God, things won't go well and God won't be honored in their relationship. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. We have multiple campuses to reach those living in Melbourne, Sebastian and Vieira. All campuses meet each weekend and on Wednesdays to spend time collectively raising our voices in worship to our Most High God and studying the truth and blessings found in His Word. For more information, directions, and service times, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on the church link at the bottom of the page. Next time, Pastor Mark will end this portion of his teaching on the life of David. He will continue to emphasize the importance of couples being together in their devotion to God first and each other second. You'll hear about the critical nature of having godly friends. People who can provide biblical wisdom are invaluable as an example. You'll hear about David's making use of Samuel's counsel. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God bless you. Together, let's do life right. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.